Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. Uh, Just me tonight, Aaron's off on an airplane. Um, You know... A couple of things before we, we get into this. First and foremost, I uh, want to say thank you to everybody who's been giving us feedback on the show, uh, especially those of you that have been really patient with all of the audio stuff that we've been going through. Um, we, we have a very distinct plan to get that fixed. Um, hopefully the show that comes out uh, this week, as well as this show, and then all the shows going forward will be considerably better in terms of uh, audio fidelity and audio quality and so forth. So thank you to everybody for, for putting up with some of that. Um, tonight, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about containers. Uh, we've been talking a lot about sort of that transition. And one of the questions that comes up all the time from people is, okay, I think I get Docker now. I think I'm getting containers. What about this other stuff, this, this Kubernetes and Mesos and those technologies? So tonight, this week was sort of interesting. I, we had somebody who sort of dropped us a note and said, you guys haven't talked much about Kubernetes. We, we'd love to come talk about it with you. We have some pretty interesting background. And so tonight, uh, very excited to have uh, Patrick Riley, who is uh, CEO, founder and CEO of a company that we're going to touch on a little bit uh, called Kismatic. So Patrick, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. So we're going we're gonna to kind of do this in two parts. Give us a little bit of, of the real quick, the kind of kismatic background so people understand where you guys are. And then we'll talk. I want to talk about your background and, and why you're such a good, good person to have on to talk about this topic. Yeah. So kismatic is really aiming to be the enterprise Kubernetes company. Okay. Um, the, you know, Kubernetes is a project by Google Cloud Platform. And uh, we're really trying to tailor that to the enterprise market and give something that people can use and get support and feel comfortable that besides the open source community and the resources that are available there, they also have a you know enterprise you know support option yeah. where they have you know they can pick up the phone, get one of our engineers on the line, and, and solve their issues. Okay, and you guys aren't you know if, if somebody goes out to kismatic.io, you go out to your website, still uh, pretty vague in terms of where you're going. So I, I will sort of caveat this with. Uh, more to come. Uh, be patient. Um, and tonight we're, we're mostly going to focus on kind of, you know, your guys' expertise around, I guess, not only Kubernetes, but I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, you, you've got some background with, with, uh, with Mesos and, and Mesosphere and stuff. So kind of give us a little bit of your background in terms of distributed systems and containers and, you know, what, what you've been doing lately. Yeah. So I've actually been working, you know, in the highly trafficked website space for quite some time. And, you know, earlier in my career, I'd been at a company called OmniTI, where we focused heavily on containerization and, you know, through OpenSolaris and, and what that provided to us. Um, so I kind of was sold on this all the way back to, like, 2006. Okay. Uh, so now seeing it come, become a little more mainstream, things like Docker uh, coming into the mix, um, and people fe- be feeling just generally more comfortable with containerization as a whole. You know, it has me excited because yeah. finally all the things I was excited about 10 years ago are, are kind of happening. As far as Mesos goes, I've kind of started kicking the tires on Mesos a while back, uh, following, you know, tracking what Twitter was doing there, and ended up selling my previous company to Mesosphere. Okay. Uh, and Mesosphere is pretty much 
positioned as the premier, you know, Mesos, <laughs> Mesos ecosystem company. Right. With Ben Hinman, you know, being on board as one of the founders. Um, and basically, long and short of it, I, I found Mesos to be a very compelling technology. Um, a lot of, you know, four, four plus years of operational experience. And it's a good option for everyone that's not Google. And as I look at the Kubernetes you know, effort and kind of have been a part of that since day one, um, you know, through our relation, Mesosphere's relationship with, with Google on that project, I, I felt that am I really wanting to take a PhD student's interpretation of the Google Omega paper and put my life's work behind Mesos, or do I want to focus on this clean room implementation with Kubernetes from the same people that built Borg and built Omega and kind of trust the lessons they've learned there launching 2 billion containers a week. Right. Um, and it just, for me, you know, for, for a myriad of reasons, just made sense to kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, become the mesosphere of the Kubernetes space. And, you know, like I said earlier, like the operational experience that Mesos has, the, the talent that's there, the, the ecosystem, the frameworks, that's not something that's going to happen overnight for the Kubernetes community. And there's a lot of things that are, um, you know, yet, yet to come. We're not even to a V1 release of Kubernetes at this point. Yeah. So I, I still think that Mesos definitely has a, a, a good place, you know, in the enterprise, a good place, especially through DCOS and some of the things that they're doing. Right. Um, but for me, I, I was, you know, this felt like a greenfield opportunity with Kubernetes and, and where I really wanted to focus my efforts. Yeah. And not to mention, from you know, my background is mostly engineering. Um, I'm definitely a technical founder, and I like the idea that you know Kubernetes is written in Go. It's a little easier for me to bring people up to speed on Go than it is, um, you know, C++, which is what Mesos was written in. And you know, I just find that like I could get people to kind of feel comfortable with making modifications to the core system of Kubernetes much easier than they could ever do that in the Mesos, you know, code base. Right, right. And, you know, it's like you said, it's, you know, for, for someone like you who's been dealing with this for, you know, almost 10 years now, it feels like a long time. I think for a lot of people, you know, it's still super, super early days, whether it's in, in Mesos or, or Kubernetes, as far as what do I do with it? What can I do with it? Where's it going to go? And so forth. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it feels like a really, really good time to be uh, you know, getting into this market, exploring it, and if you're if you're really passionate about it, you know, going and making a difference with it. Um, so, like I said, I, I think we, you know we're seeing with our audience, people are getting very familiar with Docker. They're getting very familiar with with container technologies. So, where does where does Kubernetes? Th- this is a very sort of basic level question, but where does Kubernetes fit um, in in that container world? Right? You know, what's what what if what functionality is it really providing? So, you know, it's basically a traditional orchestration, you know, scheduler type solution. So, you know, you take the stereotypical LAMP stack. I have a bunch of web servers. I have some database servers. Um, I can go ahead and get all of those applications running in containers and then trust Kubernetes to keep those services running for me. So my Redis container, I know that I'm going to have enough of them based on the number of web servers I have running. I know that I'm going to have enough of them, you know, kind of tied to how many database servers I have, and I've got this opportunity to, to trust that the services are going to be up. You know, so if, based on my traffic, I need to have 10 copies of my web server or 1,000 copies of my web server, you know, Kubernetes is going to make that, um, 
is going to make that happen. Okay, so it's it's got not only a scheduling mechanism, figure out what's the best resource to place these containers on. It's it's got a certain amount of sort of monitoring or keeping track of what's the status of things, and then it, it sounds like. Like you said, if I have X number of database servers versus X number of load balancers or X numbers of front-end web servers, it sort of has some algorithmic ways to sort of go, okay, this is this is how I optimize this, and this is how I react to it when traffic comes in? Well, you know, those are the kind of uh, hooks that you would make to the system through your own, you know, logic that you add. Um, but the things that basically solves for you are, you know, basic storage, overlay networking, service discovery. Okay. Um, you don't have to kind of bolt that all together. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. Yourself. And, you know, I kind of trust the default, the same defaults that Google chooses mm-hmm. with Kubernetes. I mean, they're basing this off a lot of experience. And, you know, especially in the Docker kind of world, you're left with so many choices of how you do things. And, you know, I like the idea of kind of picking a, this is the best of breed solution. This is the way to do this. <laughs> like, unless right. you have some exotic needs, you should be just fine. Okay. Uh, how does it? How does Kubernetes figure out like what any given host looks like? So it's it's got to do scheduling, you know. It does does discovery? How does it? Is it just a discovery mechanism that it's figuring out? Uh, you know, th- these hosts are more CPU bound or memory bound or, or disk bound or it, how how does that mechanism work so that it has that intelligence to say where do I place these things and and adjust to them over time? Sure. So each one of your your pods, uh, which is the kind of the language of Kubernetes, uh, has various containers in it and, and can have one container or more containers per pod. And those run on minions. And those minions are the kind of the basic compute unit. That's that's a, the physical piece of hardware that's running. And so different statistics are kind of kept on the box as far as you know the normal. Um, the normal things that you would collect information on as far as CPU utilization, disk, you know, file descriptors, like everything that's available on that host. Okay. And it gets, it gets a sense of for this, for the amount of resources you're asking um, for, this host has enough available resources to, to schedule this. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, there's things in the pipeline for the future to make a little, some saner decisions, but, but the basic functionality is there. And so, if we take scheduling out of the equation, mm-hmm. you know, very, the concepts of Mesos and the concept of Kubernetes are, are very, very similar. Um, I, I did a talk a few months back at the Go meetup here in San Francisco, kind of comparing and contrasting Mesos and Kubernetes. You can see that, like, you know, very similar concepts uh, in both systems. Yep. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I remember I was at OSCON, uh, you know, this this past fall, and I ended up just randomly sitting next to Ben from from Mesosphere and. Him and I had talked a few minutes before, and then we sat through the the Google talk, and and I kind of leaned over to him, I'm like, how how much overlap is there, and how much is the same? And he kind of said, yeah, there, there's some. I mean, he said there's you know there's conceptually some things, and he said, but you know at least as of last fall, you know, pretty complementary in places, and you know, it all depended on on what uh, you know what you were trying to do with stuff. So um, yeah. yeah. And to that end, um, Mesosphere has done a great job with their Kubernetes framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a Kubernetes framework that lets you run it on top of Mesos. So if you already have an existing Mesos cluster, you have a great opportunity to kind of kick the tires on Kubernetes without throwing the baby out with the bathwater on the, on the Mesos cluster. Right, right. So, And that's pretty nice. Um, now, without kind of getting into specifics of, of what you guys are going to do, I mean, if somebody were to go out uh, to, you know, Kubernetes.io, they want to go grab the code, what are they going to find that 
is sort of easy to do right out of the bat, right out of the sort of vanilla trunk code? And then what's what's hard to do? What what do you you know? Wh- where's a lot of the knobs and twisting and turning that you you typically have to do with it? So not to shamelessly plug Kismatic, but one of the things that we we're striving to do right now is we have packages available for installation on all the major distros uh, besides CoreOS because they're handling their own Kubernetes distribution. Right. But we are giving you an easy way to install Kubernetes, get up and running, um, without having to kind of take a recent tarball and, and try to figure out how to get everything running. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've kind of sane defaults picked out of the box. So the first thing that we did as Kismatic is to partner with Google, the Google Cloud Platform team, and to, uh, you know, in collaboration with them, develop the web UI for Kubernetes to kind of give people a, a rich visualization of the health of the cluster, you know, uh, at a glance being able to look and see how many resources are being utilized on each one of their minions. And if you use our packages and install, you end up with a pretty, you know, an easy on-ramp to, gotcha. to the, the Kubernetes world. But that said, you know, people at DigitalOcean, people at, you know, other, you know, GCE obviously, they have great tutorials and quick starts. To, mm-hmm. to get you up and running in, in a basic cluster. So a competent you know, DevOps SRE type can, can go from zero to 60 pretty fast on a Kubernetes cluster. Okay. And then it really just becomes you know, coming up with a network topology that makes sense for your organization and you know, figuring out what, how to containerize your apps and, and how you kind of want to distribute those. Um, so you really don't have, there's no next, roadblock in your way. I mean, you could go, you could go pretty quickly to, to trying things out. Now, I will add that like, this is a pre-production beta. Sure. I don't know that I would be running necessarily my you know, huge enterprise app on it uh, right. today. But come June when V1 is out, like, it'll be in very, very good, um, a very good place to actually run in production. Mm-hmm. And you know, in that said, like, the Google Container Engine is actually based and, and run with Kubernetes. So it's, it's not like it's not seeing a, a high traffic. Right, right, absolutely. Currently. So um, what's the, you know, for, for somebody that's thinking about this, so the, the DevOps team gets it up and running, and then like you said, you know, you can sort of figure out what, what your container strategy looks like and how you want to deploy it. What's the, what's kind of the input into, into Kubernetes? I mean, obviously, you know, Docker can have, a whole bunch of Docker files sitting there to, to build a LAMP stack or to build anything. What's the, the next order sort of logical way of, of thinking about getting stuff into Kubernetes so it can schedule it, resource manage it, monitor it? Um, what, what's that interaction look like? So if you use the CLI tools with Kubernetes, uh, you can go ahead and schedule, you know, schedule your pods. And so you would take those containers that you built and you would put them in a registry that Kubernetes has access to, and you go ahead and use the CLI and schedule, you know, schedule those pods to run, um, and then it becomes a function of, you know, other CLI commands you use to to scale up or to scale down the numbers of those pods that you have running, and then uh, choose kind of the replication strategy you have there to ensure that the, you know, that those pods are are running at all times, and that you have the right ratio of. Um, different services, you know, to each other, okay. and that's one of the places where the the web UI definitely comes in handy. It gives you just a quick quick overview beyond the CLI of kind of like the draft the graph component, for example, in the web UI gives you a great chance to see like, okay, this is how many Redis's I have in comparison to how many MariaDB you know instances I have, and 
this is the kind of throughput I'm seeing between those nodes. And it, you know, it gives a kind of cluster health at a glance. Right. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, for, for most, you know, most people that are interested in Kubernetes as their kind of orchestration platform, you know, to, to borrow a, uh, a term from Google and that yours there at Google is like, it's really the distributed, you know, it's, it's your data center operating system. Yep. Like you're making these containers, this, this is your resource unit and you're scheduling it and you're trusting that you're going to be able to scale it up and down based on, you know, demand or, or needs that you have. Right. So there's almost a set it and forget it kind of thing. <laughs> like if, if you're not going to be radically changing the characteristics of the traffic to your site, you know, you can kind of like the defaults that you go with will work with you for some time. Um, but you do have that capability to kind of keep pace with what, you know, what traffic looks like for your organization. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously the, the broader the scale you get, the more visualization uh, helps. It just gives you a, a, a an easier way than, than going through a lot of CLI or having to dig through logs or, or anything like that. Yeah. And we worked with Jack Greenfield at Google, um, who's been part of the signals team in the past to on that graph visualization. Um, and they did most of the work there. And it's just really impressive when, when you stop and look at like what, how much information you're able to take in at a glance and, and get a really good sense of, you know, this is what my application looks like. Yeah. And, you know, and as we move further and further down the road towards microservices, um, it's only going to get more complicated. So being able to kind of at a glance get a sense of what's going on is pretty great. Now, let's, I, I was going to say let's sort of walk through some of the, the basic concepts and best practices around you know, number of apps per container. I know, like I said, I've seen the, the folks from Google talk about sort of getting to, you know, a single app per, or a single layer or a single app per container. What, what do you, for, for when you talk to folks and they're trying to figure out Kubernetes, like where do you point them to as sort of the beginning best practices to start, you know, whether they've got something up and running or they're trying to understand the system, where do you tend to point them to? Well, you know, it really depends at the, the level. Right. Of sure. the person's looking, like the things I, I try to make sure people understand are basically the the core concepts of Kubernetes. You know what what does it really mean when we say cluster? What does it really mean when we say pods? You know what are replication controllers? How do I define services? What are labels? And and kind of start people off at the getting started guide, mm-hmm. um, and you know kind of gets you like how do I start? How do I create a Kubernetes cluster? But the reality is like you know it's pretty easy <laughs> once you get into it. Like Google's kind of kept a lot of the sophistication, you know, behind the scenes. So you don't, you don't have to, to worry about it. And yeah. then, you know, the concrete examples, kind of the walkthroughs and examples that are available in the repo, getting, getting people, you know, to take a look at those gotcha. um, and feel comfortable. So, you know, there's, there's examples, for example, on Cassandra, there's a guestbook app, Microsoft-esque pet store app, you know, My, you know My, MySQL and WordPress so there's a lot of things that people can look at and kind of get their sense of like, okay, here's my walkthrough in the examples. This makes sense. You know, I feel comfortable on this. And then really kind of getting people that kind of hands-on introduction and in, in examples of config files. So they feel comfortable knowing like, this is the configuration. This is how I, you know, how I use it. And then if people are a little more, uh, a little more technically focused, you know, getting them to look at the design documentation and, and just the design overview seeing kind of they want to understand the design choices that were made and understand the trade-offs and the alternative designs that could have been used and and then kind of look at descriptions of the plan features yep. that are, are too long you know frankly for github issues so 
you know, taking a look at the at the wiki, and and that's kind of the education that <laughs> that I get people just so they feel comfortable about what the co- Kubernetes control plane, you know, actually is, right, um, right, and where all the moving pieces are. Gotcha. Now it makes sense. I mean, it's sort of a it's sort of a uh, a back and forth between go go get some knowledge, go do some hands on things, test some stuff, go back read some more about what what assumptions were made and, and architecture and so forth. So no, that that's good. We'll we'll get all that stuff linked into the into the show notes. Now, it, you, you, one, just one other thing I, I wanted yeah. to add quickly is that you know when I talk about Kubernetes, it's like you know, people want to simplify it, right, to understand. So they, they see Docker and they see that you know Docker is used to package, instantiate, and run the containerized applications. Yep. And then they just say, hey, well, is Kubernetes just a Docker orchestration system? And you know that's kind of a yes and no, right? It, it's looking to establish a robust declared, you know, those robust declarative primitives mm-hmm. for maintaining the desired state, <laughs> you know, for the user. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really where the main value of Kubernetes comes into play, like the self-healing mechanisms, the auto restarting, the auto reschedule. Um, the replication containers, you know, all of those concepts make a lot of sense and they're easy. So you're kind of put down a path that like, you know, these things are going to run and you know, they're going to run across different cloud providers. So you don't have to make these decisions. Um, right. I mean, it, it sort of so. naturally fits into this, this mantra that's kind of floating around, which is, you know, the, 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 the developers sort of own what's in the container and the, and the ops team sort of own kind of outside of the container and, and it, 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 you know, it feels like Kubernetes sort of goes, yeah, we're, we're there to make sure the operations it's, it's structured. It, it runs well, it's highly available, but you know, container team, you don't have to worry about it. Just sort of set it, like you said, set it and forget it. And um, yeah, it seems to sort of align to that, that yeah, mindset. And, the, and one last thing I'd you know, add in regards to that, like, I really like that Kubernetes aspires to be extensible, pluggable, you know, kind of building block of open source platform as well as toolkit. So all of kind of the lessons learned in the OpenStack community seem to be really uh, on the forefront of people's minds. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're not going to kind of get into the ridiculousness that OpenStack has become to, to a certain extent. Right. And you know, it really will be a built uh, kind of a collection of pluggable components and layers. So, you know, people have the ability to use alternate schedulers, controllers, storage systems, distribution mechanisms, like that everything's built by default to be pluggable, yeah. which puts you in such a better place. Because if I, you know, if I want to use Weave or I want to use XYZ, like I'm not locked in, I'm not stuck. Right, right. Now that makes, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, given like, like we've talked about, given how early we are in sort of days, you know, those technologies are going to evolve and, and people are going to figure out what's kind of the best fit for them. Now you know you you've like you mentioned early on like you've you've been on the operations side of 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 large uh, web environments you're now uh, you know more on sort of development side of productizing stuff what what do you find kind of you know Kubernetes obviously has a lot of Google DNA in it how much do you find that Google kind of made you know, or, or it includes assumptions that are kind of Google esque you know like fit Google's model that maybe you wouldn't see in normal environments or, or is it flexible enough that you're kind of not necessarily bound by that? Well, you know, I really think it's, it's flexible enough that you're not bound by that. I mean, as Google would say, there's no glass to break, you know, in order to handle more complex use cases, you can just access the lower level APIs in a fully transparent and composable manner. Yep. So if you want to use these basic primitives, these basic building blocks in, in a unique way, like have at it. Yeah. 
you know, it's like at the end of the day, it's you've got these kubelet node agents running and the master components as far as the APIs and the scheduler are concerned. And if you want to come up with your own really complex, you know, way to kind of make that your own pass or, or multi-cluster layers or whatever you want to do, you're, you're there. You can do it. So I like that Google hasn't tried to, sh you know, shove one way of doing it down anyone's throat. It's like, you know, have at it. Yeah. And it and it's something that, you know, the other thing that people a lot of times will will say with Google is they, you know, they, they never worry about the Google stuff scaling, um, you know, obviously to, to global scales, but does it, does it do well at smaller scales? You know, I mean, if, if you're not as big as Google, which is, you know, everybody, I mean, does it do well at, at the sub data center level? Is it useful or is it overly complicated? No, I, I actually think it's, it's not complicated at all. And, and even if you had a small, you know, five to 10 node cluster, it still provides a ton of value. You know, I think the, I don't know the right way to put this, but you, know, you don't have to be a Wikipedia scale website or a, a Google scale website to actually take advantage of this. Like a small organization, like a regional healthcare provider, for example, like this would be per perfect for them. I mean, at the end of the day, it really becomes about bin packing. It becomes like, how, how much can I utilize, you know, these individual you know, compute units uh, and not have to have wasted resources? Gotcha. And, and that's what really gets me excited about, you know, both Kubernetes and Mesos. Like, we're, we're being good to the environment. We're using a lot less servers to do a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Hey, one last question, because I want to be conscious of your time. I know you've, you've got some commitments and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to folks, you know, unless they're living in the Bay Area and, and you know, everybody around them is talking about containers and microservices, sometimes they're kind of like, you know, what, where would I start? What's a, what, what do you see as sort of a common type of application, a, a class of application that people tend to start moving to using containers and microservices? Uh, I mean, is it, is it sort of mobile development? Is it certain types of things for the more modern web? Or, I mean, do you, do you see kind of any common threads from an application perspective? Well, I'll say this. Um, at Kismatic, we offer a paid POC program and as part of that we kind of have a, a deep dive into docker okay uh, and showing people like how to use it how to feel comfortable how, how to kind of demystify it a bit and so what i tend to do with people especially if they're used to being able to fire up a vm and just start installing you know mysql or or apache and like configuring it and getting it running for their app i start them off with like one of the fusion base images mm -hmm. which are those you know minimal ubuntu based images modified for docker friendliness right and I get it up and going and get them you know, entered into that namespace. And I say, go ahead and treat this just like it was a VM. Go ahead and try to install all of your stuff. And you'll see that you can get it working. And now you can make a snapshot of that. And there's your Docker image. Now you can distribute that, have as many of those as you want. And once people realize kind of what the, how easy it is to do and how it's not that foreign from the kind of VM concepts that they're used to, they feel much more comfortable. Yeah. So, um, so start, start with something they're... they're utterly familiar with and, and sort of a basic building block. Yeah. And, you know, and to be frank with, with the Docker e ecosystem, there's a lot of, you know, as that project has matured, um, there's a lot of old blog posts. There's a lot of old information that's out there and, and people get confused. You know, they look at the init system and they're like, Oh, I don't know. You know, this doesn't seem like community is designed to run inside of Docker. Like the upstart doesn't, you know, let me do this. And then they see like, Oh, okay, well, these are these trade-offs you know, that you have, but, but these are the kind of sane ways to go about doing it. And they realize, you know, I can look at the, the Docker registry and almost anything I could ever want, there's a Docker file for. Yep. 
and and they get comfortable. So then it's more about you know explaining to people how to get started. How, how do they add additional daemons to the image? How do they keep from making a giant Uber image that's huge? And I tend to not put people through you know creating a Docker file to get going, but like really dump them right into the image where they can play around and see where things are done, and then work backwards from there. Like, okay, so how would we have done this with a Docker file? Yep. You know, yep. How would we add additional daemons? Yep. No, that makes sense. It's it's yeah. You you kind of have to to sort of build the blocks first, and then you can go back and go how would I how would I simplify that or automate it? And it's the same way you would like with a virtual machine or or an older you know Linux machine back in the day or something. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Hey, listen, um, Patrick. You know, you guys obviously, like you said, um, you know, still still starting, still building. Um, in the interim, you're obviously out doing talks. There's some good stuff that you've got out on YouTube. Where else can, can people, you know, engage with you, kind of pick your brain, you know, where, where are you guys going to be out and about or what's the best way to kind of get in touch with you? So I think at this point we're, we're really trying to focus on our Lighthouse customers mm-hmm. and, and make sure that our Kubernetes distribution is you know, rock solid and, and doing what they want. But if people are interested in things like architectural reviews, um, you know, just to chat about, hey, is this, am I thinking about this the right way? They can always reach out, you know, via email. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm easy to find. Uh, Patrick at Kismatic dot com, um, and yeah, I, I welcome people sending an email with their questions, and I can route it to the right person. Okay. But you know, to me, I'm just I'm a developer by by background. I'm excited by this stuff. Like, if someone comes and asks me an interesting question, like I want to help them. You know, it just becomes a function of there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, sure. No, I understand. No, that that's very cool though that you're. That, you know, I mean, you, you can kind of, you can hear the passion, you, you, you can hear, you know, the experience of, of doing this. So, well, listen, thank you very much for this. And like we said, uh, you know, th- this was sort of very, very introductory level. Um, we're going to put a bunch of pointers for people out in the show notes, and we'd love to have you guys come back on when, when things get near beta and, and GA and, and kind of talk about where you're seeing the market evolve and, you know, the cool things you're doing with your customers. Yeah, that'd be great. Really looking forward to it. Good. Well, folks, uh, so for Patrick and for Aaron, thank you very much for listening tonight. As always, if you like the show, you know, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcast.net or on the web at thecloudcast.net. So for everybody, have a great night, and uh, we will talk to you soon.